Last week we were in the last part of Romans chapter 5, and this week we're moving right along to the first part of the next chapter, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. It's talking about grace in this passage, and the title of today's message is Grace to Live. When I was growing up uh, in East Tennessee, went to the local elementary school, and we had a, we had a really nice playground. One of the things we had was, was seesaws, and I don't know if they still have seesaws at schools anymore. Probably considered to be a hazard now, but, but we had these, these, these huge seesaws, and we could fit half the class on one end of those things. And if you're not familiar with how they work, the long board sitting on an axle. And uh, about the only thing, though, that could go wrong with a seesaw was if somebody jumped off the other side. And you ever experienced that before? <laughs> you're sitting on the seesaw and doing your own thing, and if you're not ready for that, somebody jumps off the other side, you're just going to smack your bottom right on, right on the ground. It's a frustrating thing about a seesaw is you can't do it by yourself. You've got to have a, a partner. So we found ourselves from time to time, even those kids that had a tendency to really enjoy jumping off and, and, and making you smack the ground, there just wasn't nobody else around to ask. And so it asked, do you, do you want a seesaw? You sure you're not going to jump off this time? But you just, you had to have somebody to balance the seesaw. That's how it works. Grace is like that. It's, it's got to have something to balance it. Last week we talked about the, the gospel message and the fact that we can be forgiven. And all that's true. God's grace is greater than our sin. That's true. Whatever you've done this week, you can come before God. You can ask for forgiveness and be washed clean. That's all true. But the Bible has another teaching that balances that, and that's God's call to repentance. You see, when we use grace as a license to sin, we, we abuse grace. Grace has to be balanced in our life by responsibility by gratitude to God, lived out through repentance, meaning a changed life. So Romans chapter 6, verse 1, I want to ask you just to join with me in standing as we read this. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, here's what the Bible says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to understand what it means to live, not under the law, but under grace. I pray that our new life would be pleasing to you, it would bring honor to you, and would attract others to want to know what we know and experience what we've experienced. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, grace, grace enables us to live uh, a new life. It's because that God has grace to forgive us, to restore us, and cleanse us. That's what makes it possible for us to live a new life. If we were under the law, meaning that the only way that we could experience life was by keeping every aspect of the law, none of us would have any hope. None of us would have any future because all of us have breaking God's law. None of us are able to perfectly keep God's law. And so grace is what enables us to have the opportunity for a new life. Grace is what enables us to continue on in the Christian life, even though after having experienced forgiveness in the past, we still continue to sin in the present. It's grace that makes all of this, this possible. But like most things in life, anything can be taken to an extreme. And Paul, in verse 1, addresses this when he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, most scholars believe that in the first century that there was this idea going around, and I suspect that it's true because the idea is still going around today, that, that whenever we sin as a believer, God forgives us, and because God forgives us, he receives glory because his grace is demonstrated in that act of forgiveness. In fact, when we look at somebody who's, who's led a horrendous life of sin, and yet they come to faith in God and are forgiven, it brings great glory to God that he would forgive such a person and pay for their sins. So then the logic goes, so therefore, when I sin, I'm bringing glory to God. So if I sin more, more glory to God because there's more to be forgiven. And you may say, well, that's, that's crazy. Nobody would really take that idea there and think that. I'm telling you, they do. In Atlanta, where I pastored, there was a church that was about two miles from me. That's exactly what they were teaching, and their staff would go out on Saturday night and party in, in a public place and get drunk and engage in all kinds of immorality. And then they would talk about how the, that God's grace was sufficient for them. And because they were sinning as believers, God would forgive them even more and they were bringing glory to God. And so many people believe that this was happening even in the first century. And that's what Paul is addressing here is this idea of abusing grace and the idea that we would abuse grace to the extent that we would think that by abusing grace we give glory to God is just absolutely crazy. God's grace does not mean that what I do no longer matters. God's grace means that what I do can no longer remove him, me out of his kingdom. It means I can no longer be kicked out of the family because God has enough grace to forgive me. 
But God's grace should be used to cover up our shortcomings. It should be used for moments of weakness when we give in and do what we should not do. It's not meant to be used to give us an excuse to live however we want to live, knowing that God's grace is sufficient for us. And so we're not in any way bringing glory to God by giving him more opportunities to forgive more sin. Our sin is no less hurtful to God and no less destructive to us simply because he is willing to forgive us. And so this is why Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And in verse 2, he gives this emphatic answer, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into our, into his death? So just as Christ died for our sin, we're to die to our sin. All throughout this passage, the Bible is talking about the experience of Christ and what he has done for us and using it as a picture of what Christ wants to do in us. And so just as Christ literally went to the cross and died for our sins, he's calling us to die a different death. He's calling us to put to death our old self, to put to death the person that we used to be, to put to death our sinful nature so that we're no longer allowing this to control who we are. It's no longer our identity. It's no longer in charge in our life. It's no longer reigning, as the Bible says in this passage. But instead, we're a new person. Just as Christ died for our sin, we're to die to sin. And so he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, here's what, here's what the Bible is telling us is that when you come to faith in Christ, uh, first of all, it, it's, it's not a singular event. It's a total life change. We start a journey that leads us through the rest of our life of being transformed to become more like Christ. This is a lifelong thing. It, it's not a small thing in our life. And it's not something that we simply add on. But instead, it completely changes who we are when we come to faith in Christ. So that we become a, a new person with a new mission, a new identity. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. So now, every time we go to make a decision, we no longer have just the singular voice of the old sinful nature. But now we have the competing voice of the Holy Spirit that's trying to lead us in the right direction. And so when I become a Christian, it doesn't mean that I'll never sin again, but it does mean that I'm trying to change the direction of my life and I'm trying to put to death sin in my life and instead live for Christ. And when I, when I fail, when I give in to temptation and I sin against God, that's what his grace is for. That's what his grace is for. God's grace is not for me to make light of sin and say, well, it doesn't really matter. God will forgive me anyway. God's grace is not for me to plan to sin. To say, well, I don't really have to make a major change in my life because God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is for the moments of weakness and failure. God's grace is for the times in our life when we fall short of the glory of God. And it's what enables us to continue to be a new person even though we have failed and sinned against God. So following Jesus means living a new life. 
In verse 4, notice what he says. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Well, I want to point something out to you. Uh, First of all, not every reference to baptism in the New Testament refers to the act of being immersed in water. To To be baptized can be used metaphorically to talk about being initiated into something. And so, for example... Uh, Mark chapter 10 verse 38 Jesus said to them he was speaking to his disciples he says he says you do not know what you're asking are you able to drink the cup that I drink he wasn't talking about a cup he wasn't talking about a drink but in the Bible a cup being poured out is the image used from the Old Testament all the way in the New Testament to speak about the wrath of God and so the Bible speaks about the wrath of God being poured out. In fact, in the book of Revelation, there are seven bowls, bowls. Bowls are bigger than cups. He emphasizes the extent. And those bowls are being poured out. That's God's wrath being poured out. You remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Father, there's any way, take this cup from me. Jesus didn't have a cup that night that he was praying. He wasn't speaking about a literal cup. He was speaking about the wrath of God that he was going to take upon himself the next day on the cross as he took our place and took the punishment that you and I deserved. And so the Bible says here in Mark 10, he says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Well, Jesus was baptized in water by John the Baptist And his disciples were baptized in water just as he was. And so we know that Jesus is not speaking about that baptism. And this baptism that he's speaking of has not yet happened. So we realize that when Jesus speaks about baptism here, he was talking about what he was about to do on on the cross. Now, you and I every day use language in a very rich way. We use things many times, not literally referring to something, but to use it as a reference or an illusion or to, uh, as a metaphor to surround about, talk about something. And so we need to understand that the Bible does the same thing. So when it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. We don't want to make too much about the very act of being dipped under water. Baptism is often used in the New Testament to talk about us coming to faith and professing our faith in Christ. Baptism just being one step and one part of it. So when the Bible says here, we were buried therefore with him by baptism. And then later it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead. There's there's symbolism in the act of baptism. That's why we we put people under the water and we pull them up out of the water because there's there's a picture that's being communicated. Jesus died and he was buried and then he rose again. So it's a picture of what Christ did for us. When we come to faith in Christ and we put our faith and trust in him, when we get baptized, we're professing that to everyone. We're professing it publicly. That's why we don't do baptisms in private. 
They're public. You're professing your faith. And the reason that we immerse people in water is because it's not only a symbol of what Christ did for us as he died and was buried and then rose again, but it's also a picture of what Christ has done in us as we put to death an old way of life and we're rising to walk in, the Bible says, newness of life, emphasizing it's an ongoing thing, a new way of life. This is what it means to come to faith in Christ, that we put to death an old way of living and we rise to walk in newness of life. That just as Christ rose from the dead, we rise from the death of our previous situation, the consequences of sin, the self-destructive lifestyle, and instead we live in a whole new way following Christ. So following Jesus means living a whole new life. So grace enables us to live this new life. If it wasn't for grace, then, then every time we sinned as a believer, well, that would be the end of it if we were under law. Because the Bible says that it just takes one transgression of God's law to make one a sinner. And if God simply forgave us once, and then later when we sinned again, we were under the law, you and I would have no hope. But we're not under the law, praise the Lord. We're under grace, grace. So grace enables us to be able to live a new life. But grace also enables us to live a new identity, a new identity. Before I accepted Christ, I was dead in sin. But now, after having received Christ, I'm dead to sin. So notice what he says in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 6 and 7, he says, For we know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And then skip down to verse 11. In verse 11, he says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says you are to consider yourselves. This just means how we view ourselves, who we are. This is what I mean when I say identity, who we are in Christ. So we're, when we are saved, we become a new person. In verse 5 that we just read, it speaks about being united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, we know that one day when Christ returns, those who have died will be literally bodily resurrected. When we die, the soul departs from the body. We go to be with the Lord, and one day we'll return with him. He's going to resurrect our body and give us a new glorified body, a body that was like his after the resurrection. But in this passage, he's speaking about more than just the future resurrection of what was going to take place. He's talking about the resurrection that takes place in our life when we're saved. The resurrection when the old person who was living under the penalty of sin, which the Bible says is death, 
The old person that was living under the consequences of sin, which is constant death, because everything against God's law is ultimately, in one way or another, self-destructive. And when we come to faith in Christ and we're forgiven because of God's grace, we're, we're resurrected to a whole new way of life. And so we no longer have to live the way that we used to live, but just as Christ was resurrected, we too are resurrected. You see, the reality is when we follow Christ, we begin to understand that God wants to set us free. Much of the world rejects Christ because they believe that Christ wants to enslave them. They see the moral imperatives of the Bible as restrictive and oppressive. And they believe that God wants to enslave them to a restricted, archaic way of living. Nothing could be farther from the truth. You see, God wants to set us free. He wants to set us free from our old self. The Bible says in verse 6, now we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So the Bible says, first of all, that our old self, our old self, self meaning the the identity that we had before. We use self to talk about personality. We use self to talk about who we are. And the Bible uses self sometimes to talk about the old sinful nature. So the old self, the old person that we, that we used to be, our, our old identity before Christ. You see, my identity before Christ is that I'm a sinner, but my identity after Christ is that I'm saved. My identity before Christ is that I'm under the wrath of God. But my identity after Christ is that I'm under the grace of God. And the Bible says the reason that God wanted to set us free was so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There are many people today that are absolutely enslaved to sin. We have people all over our community they can't get a job. They're not capable of raising a family. They can't function because they're enslaved to addictive chemicals. Enslaved. We have people across our community that they can't have a healthy, lifelong marriage because they're enslaved to lust. We have people that are enslaved to all kinds of things, things that may be pleasurable in the moment, but are ultimately self-destructive and painful in the end. And the Bible says that they all lead to the same place. That's death. That's what Christ came for. He came not to imprison us, but to set us free from these things. He came to give us the power to choose, to have a different way of life, so that we might have a different outcome to life so he came to set us free we are set free so we can live to god instead of dying to sin verses 8 and 9 says for if we have died with christ meaning 
When Christ died on the cross for our sins, when we come to believe this and we entrust ourselves to him, we put to death our old way of life. So just as he died, we die. But our death leads to life. Just as his death led to his resurrection, our death to our old self leads to our resurrection to a new self. It leads to resurrection to be a completely different person. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for death. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And so God is calling us to take on this whole new identity so that we understand that we're no longer under the dominion of, Christ, of sin, but we're now living under the freedom of Christ. And so he says in, in, in verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you also must consider yourselves. You see, just because you, you are something or you possess something doesn't necessarily mean that you're aware of it or, or embracing it. And so the Bible calls us here to embrace our new identity in Christ. That we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So God enables us to have this new identity, to live a new identity. And this new identity enables me to live free from slavery. And so verse 12, he says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Now, I want you to notice, well, this is a, this, this is a very clumsy sentence in terms of English grammar, but it's a beautiful sentence in terms of theology. It, it's, it's structured by emphasis. And the first word in that sentence is let, let. There's a lot of things that happened to us in life that we didn't let happen. There's a lot of things that we don't have any control over. In order for you to let something happen, it means that you had an option and you had a choice. None of us uh, that have contracted cancer really let cancer have its way in our body. It just, we just don't have any control over it. There's things in life that we don't have any control over. But when we come to faith in Christ... And we take on a whole new identity of living under grace and having been set free from the slavery of sin. We do have the power of whether we're going to let sin reign in our body or not. And so he says, let. We're in control. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. It doesn't mean that there'll never be a time in our life that we don't fall short, we don't give into temptation, we don't sin. This is an issue about who's in control. And there are many people that sin is just reigning in their body, meaning, meaning sin controls everything that they do. It controls every relationship that they have. It directs the path of their life. Sin is in absolute control as they're just constantly trying to pursue the passions of the flesh, constantly trying to indulge in some type of sinful behavior because they believe they're trapped and they don't have any way out. But the Bible says that grace is what gives us the freedom to get out. Even as a believer, when I find myself stuck in a cycle of sin in some area of my life, Satan will say to you, he said, you're always going to be here. That's just your weakness. You don't have any other option. Don't worry about it. You're doing great in every other area. Don't confess that as sin because you've already confessed it over and over. Are you going to go to God one more time with the same thing that you keep struggling with? You don't have the power to overcome that. That's what Satan will tell us. But grace is what gives us the power. 
Grace means that even if I've confessed it the last four weeks in a row, I can still come before God and say, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. And I can confess it to God. And because I'm not under the law, meaning I'm not judged by absolute perfect obedience, but instead I'm under grace, meaning that Christ lived the perfect life for me, and I can substitute what he did in his victory for my personal failure, I can still come before God and be forgiven. And I have the opportunity now, not to keep doing that, but the opportunity to embrace my new identity in Christ as a changed person, a changed person who's been forgiven and who's been given another chance once again at life. And I would say a second chance, but I think we all know that every one of us had have far more than second chances. His mercy is new every morning, though, isn't it? So this is what grace does for it. It sets us free. It sets us free so that now I don't have to let sin reign in my body. I can let the Holy Spirit reign in my body so that I listen to the Holy Spirit and I can form my life to become like Jesus. It also means I can choose how to use my body. Verse 13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The old self used its body for rebellion, for pleasure, but the new self uses its body to glorify God. The old self may use its hands for violence, retaliation against every unkind of word, but the new self can use its hands to serve those in need. I can choose. I'm not entrapped by sin. I'm not enslaved to the old self because grace has set me free. Grace enables us to live in a way that the law never could. The Bible says in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. What does that mean? That we're not under the law, but we're under grace? Here's what it means. If we were under the law, then one single failure, one single moment of weakness you had this week would be all it would take to separate you from God for all eternity. You'd be sitting here this morning and Satan would remind you of something you did, something you said, something you thought. And Satan could say to you, there's no hope for you. You've knowingly willfully transgress God's law. That's what life would be like as a believer if we were under the law. But we're not under the law. We're under grace. Grace means that I can come before God and when I remember that I've sinned, as Satan says to me, he says, you don't, you don't need to be here today. People know what you've done. You don't deserve to be here today. 
People are looking at you. They're thinking about what you said this week. You don't deserve to be here. I'm going to ask for forgiveness again. You've already prayed about that same sin. Are you really going to go before God one more time with the same thing? You, you, don't have, you don't have the ability to overcome that. You're too weak. Just give in. Because I'm under grace, I know that God's grace is greater than all my sin. And so I come before God, not abusing His grace, balancing it with repentance. I come before God and I say, God, I'm sorry. I know what I've done, but I don't want to do it any longer. I want to glorify you in how I live. And because we're not under the law, but we're under grace, God says you're forgiven. It's already been paid for when Christ died on Calvary. You're forgiven. And like Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, we hear that balance after being forgiven when he tells her, now go and sin no more. No more. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced forgiveness. I want you to understand this. I don't have to know your name or know anything about you to know that you can be forgiven because the Bible says that we have a universal problem but God has offered a universal solution the details and specifics are different in everyone's life but the ultimate problem is the same there are many forms of cancer but most of them will kill you there are many forms of sin but every one of them will kill you the Bible says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift. So here's what I want you to understand this morning. If you were to ask for forgiveness, God would forgive you because he is gracious. You may be a terrible sinner, I don't know. But no matter what you've done, I'm telling you that God's grace is greater. It's bigger. It's more than your sin. For those of us that have already been forgiven... And yet we recognize that throughout the week we've fallen short in so many ways. We don't have to sit here in shame this morning. We can go before God and we can ask for forgiveness. And when we come before him with a sincere desire to live a different life, then we're using grace the way it was meant to be used. And so I want to invite you today to be free. To be free from the enslavement of sin. Whatever it is that's been controlling your life and reigning, you don't have to be enslaved to it, no matter what Satan tells you. Satan will say, well, you don't have the power to give that up. That's true, but God has the power, and he'll, he'll grant you the mercy and the grace for you to be forgiven and to give you a new opportunity. So I want to invite you today to receive that. It's a gift. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to do anything. You just come before God in prayer and sincerity.
and ask to be forgiven. So right now we're going to sing a song. And when we begin to sing, I want to invite you to make your decision.